everyone. So I'm Sally Hancock. Um, I'm a lecturer in education at the University of York um, and I'm going to be focusing in on social science PhDs in particular. Um, and I think much of what I'm going to say is, is complementary to some of the overall data that Charlie's just presented. Um, and I suppose there are three points that I would like to make in the next 10 or 15 minutes really. The first is that um, relative to some of the other subject areas, social scientists seem to be doing quite well out of their doctorates. Um, but also, they are, they are a different group of people. Um, if we look at those characteristics, they're quite different to scientists, they're quite different to arts and humanities, and certainly they do their doctorates at different places. Um, and then finally, there are some quite important differences within the social science group itself. We see different outcomes in terms of who you are um, and what you go on to do. Um, so there are the three points to think about. Um, I'd like to start with some acknowledgements. So um, the project today that we're talking about um, is funded through the SRHG, um, and the data set have been prepared by the Higher Education Statistics Agency. Um, and Heike, who I've met for the first time today, is um, acting as um, the expert mentor for, for this project. Um, so I'll jump straight in with the method. And the data that I'm presenting is um, also through the Delhi survey, but this is the longitudinal Delhi. So it collects um, a snapshot at three and a half years uh, into the labour market, which we might think is a slightly more meaningful um, indicator of where people are doing um, out of their PhD. And um, in this data set, it's 2008-9, 2010-11.oral graduates from the UK. And here I'm talking about conventional PhDs, so um, just the, the normal PhD route, not uh, professional doctorates or doctorates by publication. Um, and the novel thing about this data set, so uh, Rosemary was talking about um, the, the importance of identities of PhD students, who they are, and often the, the employment data we see doesn't really tell us who those people are, it just tells us the outcomes in terms of aggregate data. So this data set is linked to the student record, which has information about, for example, first degree institution, subject, and also some socio-demographic characteristics. Um, so age on entry to the doctorate, uh, gender, ethnicity, parental education, parental occupation, school type and polar, so whether you were in a low participation neighbourhood when you first entered higher education. Why is this important? Well, we know increasingly within this competition um, for jobs, and particularly academic jobs, there has been a growing body of evidence that suggests that socioeconomic characteristics that you're born into start to re-emerge after graduation, particularly graduation from first degree. Um, and there's a suggestion that really, you know, those from more privileged backgrounds who have the economic, social, and cultural capital can mobilise those resources after graduation um, to get more preferential outcomes in the labour market. So I'm really interested to see whether this is the case with doctoral graduates too. Um, what I will say, however, is that some of this data is quite patchy. Um, so there are good numbers, for example, on age, ethnicity, uh, gender, and um, polar. But um, parental education, school type, a lot of that really breaks down. So it's quite limited in terms of following that pathway through and, and what um, I'm able to say. Um, but just to show you the data set as a whole, it's around a 40% response rate, which is um, it's quite good for an academic survey, but it's notably lower than the sort of 80-85% that um, institutions are asked to get the first degree. It's all the money we have on data sets, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a good number to be working with. Um, 
So I'm going to talk you through the sample and then I'm going to talk you through some of the outcomes. So firstly, uh, we can see that the social scientists I'm focusing on today are only about 10% of those who responded to the survey. So about 500 or so um, individuals. Most of them are in the STEM disciplines and around a fifth are in the arts and humanities. They do look quite different in, in certain regards. So firstly, we can see um, that they're less likely to, to progress immediately to a PhD. So they're coming to a PhD slightly older, around a third of them. 25 or, or over on entry. They're more likely to hold a taught master's degree, especially compared to STEM. Um, they're slightly less likely to have a parent who've gone to university, only about half of them had a parent who <coughs> had an undergraduate degree or higher. And they are slightly more likely to have come from a low participation neighbourhood. So these, these are quite minor differences, but we can see, see some differences between the subject areas. Um, in terms of gender, they're, they're split to 50-50, um, and we can see that they are overwhelmingly white British, which is the case for all of the, the PhD students um, in this survey sample. Quite sobering, really, when you see those statistics. But they do have the, the highest proportion of the black British students, although it's only a small minority compared to the subject areas. So the other important point that I made was that they, they're, they're different in terms of where they receive their doctorate. So we can see that um, for STEM and Arts and Humanities, almost two-thirds of those PhDs are coming from the Russell Group. But for our social scientists, it's about 45% um, of PhDs being awarded from the Russell Group, and slightly notably higher for University Alliance institutions and 94 group institutions. So some differences there. So in terms of destinations, um, on the whole, the employment of the total sample is about 88% were in either full-time or part-time employment at 3.5 years, and it was quite similar for social scientists. Um, I then looked at uh, what constitutes graduate employment, and that's also not formatted properly, but it was quite similar, it was about 92% um, in a, a graduate level role, and that's using um, the SOC HE variable, which um, Warwick Institute for Employment Research uh, developed, and then finally, I feel like oh, that's going to show. Um, so NSEC one or two, these are the higher managerial occupational classes, um, very high proportions, around 95% in a job that would count as um, NSEC one or two. So that's what the Office of National Statistics uses to work out social class based on occupation. So doing well in terms of those broad measures. Um, now here we see some really quite interesting differences if we look at the actual sector um, that these students have gone on to work with. So I think, um, as Charlie said, around a fifth of all the sample were, were, were in an academic role, so this higher education teaching professional category, but it was 46% of the social scientists um, at that 3.5 years. And this, I think, might relate to the fact that they're a smaller number, perhaps there's less competition at this stage post-PhD post-PhD to get an academic job, um, but really quite a considerable difference there. Um, and then also prominent categories with them were working in university research, but that would be not a teaching position, and um, employed as social scientists or um, 
education professionals outside of HE. So I'm now going to focus on this category here, this higher education teaching professional, because it's the largest group, it's the largest destination for our social scientists, um, and just look at some of the variations and differences um, between people who progress into this category. So I'm broadly calling this academic careers. So firstly, this, this chart really just sets out um, this 46% transition rate into HE teaching professional, and it compares this to some other academic characteristics, such as subject area and different institutions. So we see, for example, um, this here is STEM, so they have the lowest rate um, into an academic career, just over one tenth at 3.5 years. Um, I think this 13.9 was our arts and humanities, so doing considerably better, if not so better, um, against the other subject areas. Um, this 39 here was uh, Russell Group as well, so there was some variation in terms of academic characteristics and, and transition. Okay, um, but within the social science group, I mentioned there were some differences in terms of who who had a social social science PhD went into um, into a HE teaching professional role. Um, and firstly, the Russell Group graduates with a social science degree were more likely than any other university category to go into this role. Um, white British, much higher rates of progression compared to with it any other ethnic category. These differences weren't statistically significant and I think it's because the, the sample size wasn't really large enough to show this, but where it was large enough was with gender um, and men were statistically significantly more likely to uh, go into this category uh, with a social science PhD than women. Um, obviously this data isn't telling us anything about aspirations and choices and so on, but it does give us a broad overview. Um, I then looked at salaries, this is the mean salary of those who are reporting that they've gone into higher education teaching professional um, and again some really interesting variations there, I'm sorry that you can't see the full um, key here but our social scientists stand out as doing particularly well so the mean um, salary is about 30,000, our social scientists are reporting 37.5 as the mean salary. Um, and perhaps doing less well here, this was our Arts and Humanities um, graduates, all doing broadly the same role, um, reporting an average salary of 23, uh, almost 24,000. But of course averages can be um, unreliable, and if we look into the social science group in more detail, um, we saw a full range of around 16,000 to 73,000 being reported by the social science graduates doing this role. Um, and again, just digging deeper into some variable, variables, we saw that the average male salary for this role was about 45,000. The average female salary was 31. For um, white social science graduates doing this role, it was 40. Uh, for black British, it was 26, 300. These are doing the same role. Um, and just grouping together some um, variables of privilege together, we saw that white males with Russell Group PhD and the social scientists are reporting an average salary of 60,000 for this role. So really interesting variations which I want to look at in much more detail. 
So just to finish off on a maybe slightly more optimistic note, thinking about career satisfaction, 91% um, of all the doctoral graduates said they were very or fairly satisfied with their careers at that point. Um, and the, those who are working as a higher education teaching professional uh, said about 94%. Um, and then if we look at this by subject area, we saw that STEM graduates were the happiest, um, social scientists were somewhere in the middle, and our arts and humanities um, quite disgruntled, about 80% at this point saying that they're happy with their, their outcomes. So I think this is a group that I want to look at in more detail. So just to offer you some tentative reflections at the moment, this work is ongoing, but I think there's a clear association between um, certainly where you do a PhD, but also some socio-demographic characteristics across subject. Um, we see that on the whole, our social scientists are reporting relatively positive outcomes, um, but there are perhaps some persistent uh, inequalities pertaining to academic characteristics and socio-demographic characteristics, even within the same small educational area. So that's it for me. Thank you.